we have been going through a series called Relationship Goals. And the reality of life is there is no life apart from relationships. Your relationships might be with stuff, not with people. But your life is relating itself to stuff. So our heart and our goal in this series is to just be at a place where we ask the hard questions. We get into the space of trying to understand what is love really like. Now, when you come to scripture, scripture has a lot of stuff to say about love. And we've been looking at some few amazing things that God has said in his word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of what love is. So I want you to stand as we read the portion of scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to read four, five verses, but we're going to focus on one word. This is the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, which is sharp. I pray may we hear your voice. May we trust you. May we look up to you for the sake of your name, for the glory of your kingdom. When we hear your word, God, I pray we will not harden our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. Now, I'm about to do something for like three or four seconds that if you have very sensitive ears, I would want you to close your ears. So just, let's just try this. Let's try this. Keep going. Try this. Keep going. Try this. Yes. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That always gets me. I hate that. But what Paul is saying is, is if you are doing anything in life without love, you are that. You're that horrible, irritating, frustrating feedback. You are that noise. And Paul says, your life is beyond the gifts you have. As people, we value gifted people. But God values loving people. And God's invitation is for us to be a people that learn how to love each other. So the few weeks uh, we've been doing this series, we've looked at how our radicalness is empty if it's not birthed in the love of God. What you're doing is completely empty if it's not based on the love of God. To the point the Bible says, even if you give your body to be sacrificed, but if you are not loving, you're that noise. That is irritating. That is hurting, hurtful to the ears. It is like if you don't love, that's who you are. Our radicalness, and, and this is... My, my, my heart, can we go to the next slide? My heart is for people to, to be radical for God in a healthy way, not in a way that bombs themselves. You know what I mean? Like be radical in a way that is lovingly radical. You love people with everything you are, with everything you have. But the Bible is saying if you do that simply for show, simply for other reasons, that is emptiness. Our radicalness is empty if not birthed in the love of God and secured in the faithfulness of God. And then our actions without love leads to our unselfish pursuit for control. We want to control our own image, right? So we do good stuff. We do stuff that look like they're a little bit sacrificial. So that people can look at us and go like, man, there goes a really good Christian. There goes a really good human. But by the end of the day, God's invitation is for us to live lives beyond that. And last week we looked at something that I, I is worthy repeating. Love takes time to enjoy the relationships God has given you. All you guys have relationships. 
And relationships with humans are always complicated. So we normally sit at a place where if people are complicated, I don't want to enjoy who they are. But God's invitation for us as people is to look at our own (laughs) complicatedness. And instead of that leading us to despair, that to lead us to hope that is found in who Jesus is. That's it. So God invites you and me to enjoy the relationships that we have. So for me, what are the relationships that you have that the only things you see are the complaints that they step on you instead of the person they are that you can enjoy? Love takes time to enjoy people, to enjoy moments, to enjoy relationships. And this is real for a lot of us because even when we are with our besties taking some selfies, we are the entire time on our phones and not really with the people that we are supposed to enjoy. And that is so real. We, we are failing to enjoy the actual moments by trying to create special moments with photos. No, enjoy people. Enjoy people. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Like I've said this before, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, you didn't even know be dependent on phones like this. No one ever died for not having a Facebook or Instagram account. Never. Like, I don't know anyone yet. Maybe Gmail might be more important. But we've moved so hard to a level where if you send an email to a young person, which sometimes I do, you have to text them first that you have sent them an email. You know, just like, hey, dude, I want you to know that I've sent you an email. Can you check? Because we, 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 life has changed so much. And I don't want to ignore the change. I love social media. A lot of you heard about this church through social media, right? So there's so much good that that is doing. But I don't want us to forget to enjoy the people in front of us. To be present. That's all we're saying. Be present because love is present. And in that being present, love is patient with the people we are present to. Because the reason I'm saying is it's it's a power thing to an extent. You know when you are uh, texting, you control what you're writing. You control what you're sending. You control. You edit. Real life, you you don't edit. (laughs) Like you just realize you have said something. You're like, oh, Jesus, I wish I could have edited that and sent it to drafts. You know what I mean? Just like, that would have saved me that moment. And we're just like, come on. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with one another. Because when you are patient with yourself, you allow yourself to grow. You allow yourself to learn. You allow yourself to figure out what life is about. So be patient with yourself. And as you are being patient with yourself, be patient with other people. Show grace, show mercy to other people. Because it's easy to show grace to people that sin like us. But people that are complicated in a different way than us, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. It's a little bit more complicated. It's like, why are they like that? Okay, why are you like that? Like, I don't know, let's not talk about my stuff. Let's talk about why are they like that. Because that's where we love to move as humans. And, and we saw that love goes out of its way and does not make life about itself. Love is not puffed up. That's the word. Even the word puffed up just sounds so puffed up. You know what I mean? Like just, this is so puffed up, man. Like, but that's, that's God's invitation for us to not be puffed up. Now, th- there's something that's been going through all these conversations. When we think about how uh, without love, you are noisy. You are empty. You are worthless. Without love, uh, life is simply about you. Without love, life is a little bit hurtful. Without love, is life is all these other things. But at the same time, we saw a little bit last week that envy is something uh, we don't like to talk about as people in the faith. But what envy does, it wants what other people have or who other people are. So what other people have, that's it. That's what you want. 
and, and the next point is basically about that. That a lot of us, it's not that we cannot be happy. We just don't have what the other friends in our lives have. It's not that we cannot be happy. We just don't feel we have the same things others have. So we're not happy until we have more than what we have as they have. So when you look at your life, I want you to start thinking about that. When you are defining that, hey, my life is really horrible. I'm not as happy as I am. No, no, no. How are you measuring that? Are you measuring that based on they have stuff I don't have? I'll only be happy when they have that, when I have that. Because you are failing to enjoy the relationships. You are failing to enjoy the moments because you don't have as they have. So God's invitation is like, no, no. Enjoy the moment. Don't be envious. Don't <laughs> celebrate and be inspired with people that have. Don't covet it. Don't envy that. Celebrate the people. Celebrate they have a great relationship. Celebrate and learn from that. But don't go around feeling like your level of happiness will only be dependent on having as they have. So this is worth repeating. I've, I repeat this all the time. That the problem with our season that we're living in is a lot of the stuff we post online, on social media, there are high moments, right? Those are really, really high moments. So when we post our high moments, a bunch of people don't know our lowest. So you're at home, and the first thing you do in the morning is you open your Instagram, and everyone is bawling, man. Everyone is having a good time. Uh, there are like 50 filters in that photo. was taken by a photographer who also edited it, so it's got other filters. And you're looking at this moment, this moment, and you're comparing that moment to your own life, to how you've woken up that morning. You're comparing someone else's highlight to your deepest wound, to your complicated relationship, to your hurtful circumstance, to the abuse you're going through. Do you think your life will be happy? No. But isn't that our reality every day? Isn't that where we are at? That even me saying this, you're going to go back and get out of here and go back to that vibe. Envy says, I want what they have. I won't be happy until I have what they have. And then when you have that, they have other things. And you're like, man, there's an upgrade, 2.0. Like every other day, and you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Why should they shut down Windows 7? We that was amazing. We don't like Windows 10. Love is not envious. And I want you to start thinking about that. That is your life simply built around other people's stuff is your life really built around what other people have that the reason you're working hard is to have as they have the reason why you're putting in so much time is to have as they have the reason why you want a new relationship it's not because you're a complicated human being who needs a lot of help to do relationships Simply because you show that your life is not as bad as people think. Like, what is at the root of what you're pursuing? And when you get those things, are you enjoying and marveling at the goodness of God that has granted you those things? Or you're still like, I still don't have as they have. Or the goalposts have been moved a little bit further. So you feel like, your life is not enough. Why, why am I saying all these other things? It's because if we're going to understand what love is, understanding how envy builds our desires is a really important thing. Envy and jealousiness builds a lot of our dreams. 
And all I'm saying is, if your dreaming is about getting stuff, you are dreaming so small. If your dreams are about what can I have, you are dreaming so small. I'm not underestimating that you grew up in a life that didn't have as much, or you didn't see healthy things, so you are desiring all these other things. I think, I think that should be part of the conversation. It's okay to desire good things and to pursue them and to build life. But when we make good things ultimate things, we have turned the good things into our idols. To the point, this is literally a rabbit trail, so forgive me. To the point that when God says to you, you are loved, it doesn't make sense because you have someone that you've been asking out and have said no every time. So your God loving you is simply based on if they are going to say, God, if you really, really love me, give me that human. And God is like, you know, the moment I give you that human, you are going to release the brakes and start compromising. So the God of the universe says no to something you really want. And literally your own idea of who God is is based on God giving you that thing. And God is like, there's no way I'll give you that. So to an extent, our faith is a little bit hurt when God says no. Because we've built an idea of a God that should always say no to what we want. How we want it. Instead of learning how to be loved by God and to love God. Still on that rabbit trail. A lot of us, we have been told by God that we've been forgiven. Because God loves us, right? But we still haven't forgiven ourselves. Because there's something in us that is so important. That unless we get its approval, when God says we are forgiven and that doesn't feel like it, maybe God is lying. Maybe God is not up to who we are. And, and I'm just going to say this. Because of, the great, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We are not destroyed. We are not cast out. For his love is everlasting. Lamentations, right? Three. His mercies are new daily. <laughs> every day, every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Now, when you go to Timothy, Timothy says something about, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor who is leading a very complicated church, and he says to Timothy that if you are faithless, God will still be faithful because God cannot deny himself. That is love. That because of who God is, that's how we build our lives. That's how we build everything we are and everything that we have. We don't build that based on what other people have. You're dreaming so small. So, so as we continue in this series, I want you to go back and start asking those questions. You say, God, how am I building my life? So this morning, this is a word that I want us to look at. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. That's the word, rude. Love is not rude. Love is not rude. Now, I'm going to be a little bit hard this morning. I love you guys. I really love you. And thank you for coming to church. Thank you for coming to flood. Please don't stop coming after this. But rudeness is something all of us have experienced, right? Someone has been rude to us or we have been rude to someone. Now, as I'm speaking about this, if you're single, I want you to start thinking about what are the areas that you are carrying a level of rudeness that can be toxic in your marriage if you ever want to get married? Because I believe some of you got, no, okay, let me rephrase it. I believe 
Some of you get married. I believe some of you, you don't want to, simply because you don't want to. You don't have other reasons apart from you feel God has given you a gift to not get married. So I'm not, we don't idolize marriage here, but we enjoy and celebrate marriage. So I want you to have that in your head. But this is, this is my point. A lot of us, we have witnessed our parents being rude at each other. And we know if our parents were not rude at each other, the things that have, they have fought about would not carry the same weight that we had to endure and carry the bruises in. Actually, if you, you've experienced your parents getting a divorce or something like that, let me ask you this. Do you think if your parents were not as rude and arrogant to each other, do you think they would have solved some of the things they fought? So let's leave that there. Put it in a box. Put it somewhere. The relationships that have hurt you or that you have destroyed, because sometimes we only talk about people hurting us. We don't want to talk about the amount of people, the train of people we have hurt, right? Those relationships, would they be the same if you were not rude and arrogant? Rudeness ignores and judges people based on our perceived value of them. Before you are rude, you have done a few things. In your head, you have said, you are so bothering. You bother me. In your head, you have said, dude, you're senseless. What you talk is always nonsense. Before you are rude, at the heart of that rudeness is you looking at someone and going like, dude, you're so irritating. You're so irritating. You are annoying. At the heart of that rudeness, you're saying, man, you're ignorant. You're ignorant. And you're so saying you you're lesser. So our response to someone we feel they're lesser, they're ignorant, they're irritating, they're senseless, they're bothering, they're annoying. tend to be rude. But you know, we don't think about it that way. We just feel like, oh man, you annoyed me. Huh. That's why I said that. That's why I responded to you like that. That's how I treated you like that. But at the core of our rudeness towards people is a value thing. Is I think I'm way more important. I think I'm more valuable than you are for me to listen to your nonsense, for me to listen to your annoying voice. Sometimes it's literally, why, why are you rude to them? No, they just have this annoying voice. Like, like for real, it's, it's a voice thing. It's, come on. Rudeness ignores and judges other people based on what we have perceived is their value. Let me put it this way. Rudeness is when a waiter brings you a wrong drink or meal than what you have ordered. And literally, you bring all their angry issues from home and you put them on them. In that moment, to you, they're not human. They're just a waiter, a waitress, someone who's supposed to bring something for you. What value do they have if they bring you the wrong thing? Now, you want that person who looks at someone who is weak and they haven't done something according to what we wanted to someday just walk into a perfect marriage that has no rudeness, that just loves everyone and is perfect and they live happily ever after on this earth? No. My point is, rudeness is when the 
minibus pass, uh, conductor forgets to give you change. And you just say, dude, you wanted to steal from me? Dude, there are 14 people in that bus. And there will be 40 other by the end of the day. You expect that man to remember every face and how much he owes them in that 10 minutes every day? So we are rude. Instead of just asking kindly, hey, you have my change. Can you give it back to me? We say, you want to steal from me? This is what you minibus conductors do all the time. Rudeness. We've perceived they're thieves or they're trying to manipulate us or rudeness is when you tell your house help to do something and they forget and they face the wrath of God <laughs> for forgetting. How many things have you forgotten in your life that to an extent were even like almost life or death or they were a little bit important? Rudeness is when you are a boss, you don't care what your friends that are working with you or working for you feel or are going through with their families. As far as they give you what you need on the deadline they have been given, they are empty and worthless. That's rudeness. It is okay to have standards under an organization. It is okay to demand more from people. It is. It is. Right. But listening and understanding why something has happened is not always an excuse. Sometimes someone is really going through a hard time. And the reason why I'm saying this is... A lot of you in the corporate world, it's about targets, it's about numbers, and less about people. I think you should be different. The reason why God has you there is not because you have a bunch of degrees or you have money to build a business. God has you there so that you can be an extension of kindness and grace, not about the money, not about the business. It's about the glory of God. So you don't stop being a Christ representative because you're a boss at work and you have a bunch of workers. No, you don't. So when people are coming to you with struggles, with pain, when other people would say, I don't want to hear anything, just give me my results. You, listen, you pray and you ask, how can I help you? Make sure we meet the deadline. How can I do that? And a lot of you young ones, you're going to get there someday. You're going to lead organization. You're going to be the top dog or whatever you're going to be calling them in the next 20 years. I don't want you to forget that, that the call of who God wants you to be is someone who's not arrogant. Someone who does not carry a level of self-importance. I'm more important than them. Therefore, they have to serve me. Christianity our faith in Jesus is more about serving people than it is accumulating power. Our pursuit is not more power. God's invitation is for more service. Let me explain that. When you start serving people, people allow you to speak in their lives people allow you to have access to the things they are processing. People allow you to influence decisions. But when you are about power, everyone runs away from you. Everyone doesn't want anything to do with you. And I know as I'm speaking, a lot of you have ideas of, oh yeah, that's my... Uh, to an extent, that's you too. So I want you to start thinking about how can you serve the people you have employed to serve you? How can you serve? How can you lead? That's, that's God's vision for us. How will they know that we love one another by, by showing up, being present, and serving each other? Okay, what about 
Will they know you belong to God because you have lots of money and lots, lots, and lots of that money that you can't even talk about anything but money? I haven't found that in scripture. Will they love you when you can do the greatest, amazing, most biggest miracles in the world? I haven't found that in scripture. God's invitation for you is to go out and serve. So that, that role God has given you, that amazing thing you have prayed for for a long time, God was not just saying yes because you need more money and we need more tithes and stuff like that. No. God gave you that so you can serve without arrogance and rudeness. When we serve people, that, I don't know if, if this is the right word, but corporately uh, below us, <laughs> and we like high than them. When we serve them, it is confusing. Because a lot of times, they don't know why. Some of us, when we take the blame for other people because Jesus took the blame for us, instead of always finding someone to blame for something that we did at work, it changes people. It gives them an opportunity to start asking questions, why did they do that? Why? Why did they do that? And sometimes God uses that why to lead them to himself. And sometimes we don't think about that. We only are thinking, if I only uh, tell them about Jesus, okay, how did that go in South Africa? How did that go around slavery time back in the day? How did that go? How did that go? Because what ended up, ends up happening is faith becomes a tool to manipulate and control people. When our faith in Jesus liberates us and the people that are around us. Meaning that as people that are free and people that are carrying freedom, when we get into a space, we demand freedom for those people. We demand freedom for, for our friends. We demand freedom from those people that are persecuted. You know, if the church would step up, as Micah 6, 8 talks about, that God wants you to show mercy and act justly, a lot of the broken things would not be broken. But some of the broken things are that because we have a perceived idea of who people are and how people should do their lives. So we walk around not noticing the spaces that we are rude, the moments that we are arrogant. We don't even notice it at all. But if you are a boss and you want to do something that is really, really radical, ask your people to tell you the blind spots you have anonymously in a box over the next week and let them tell you the things you think you do and that's very harmful to them. That's my challenge for you. Because when people are bothering you, they bother you. They're like they don't talk sense. They're irritating, they're ignorant, and they're less than. It's so hard for you to overcome that mountain to show kindness to them. The love God invites us to is a kind of love that shows up for our enemies. And I think the people that work with you or the, your classmates or your roommates are at a better place than your enemies. So if God's demand, demand on you is to show kindness to your enemies, what about the people that are close to you? What about the people you eat with? What about the people God has brought in your life? So Paul says love is not rude. What does that mean? Love does not dismiss people. Hello? Love does not dismiss people. How many people this last week have you dismissed? 
how many people came to you to say something really important? Say that they're going through something really hard. And you're they're just like that. Because they are irritating, they bother you, they are senseless, they are not us. How many of us in this room have seen the kids from kids' church come to us, tell us something that we have known for the last 30 years, because they can't say something new, you know what I mean? <laughs> they will only tell us stuff that, that we already know. How many of us have we let the kids walk in and we dismiss them simply because they're kids? Applaud mothers because they're continuously listening to stuff they already know all day, man. Like, it's just like on loop, man. Like, mom, I've discovered something. <laughs> I knew that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But how many times do someone show up genuinely and we dismiss them? Because I think you know the pain of being dismissed. Because people have dismissed you before. People have listened to your story and say, no, you're lying. There's no way that thing can be like that. And you know the pain. But what do you do? You go around. When someone is senseless to you, you think they're looking for attention, right? So if someone is coming to you and all you're thinking is, oh, they just want attention. You dismiss them. And to, to an extent, that's what we have done with our friends that have battled mental health. We dismiss them. And they walk around and carry this pain. Even the church, the church has even called mental health demonic. And I'm like, man, I'm so disgusted by something like that. We've called our friends names. And hurt a lot of people. So when people feel dismissed, they disconnect. Then as a church, we say, just come to church. Just be part of our group. Just do this. Just, no, no, no. We are dismissing them, and we want them to be in community with people that are dismissing them. What? How many people, dudes, how many of your boys have showed up and said, man, life is just hard. It's just complicated. And the best thing you did was just laugh about it. How many of your friends have you posted about, man, I didn't know he was going through hard stuff like that after they committed suicide? You didn't know? Didn't you dismiss them? Didn't you? Didn't you look at them and go like, come on, dude, we all go through that stuff? You measured their pain based on how you respond to the same pain. <laughs> Why do we do that? Because you can work through something, it doesn't mean everyone has the muscles to work through something like that. Some people need more help. Some people need more prayer. Some people need more people walking with them through that. And some of us, the way we've dismissed people is listening to give an answer. Not to love them and understand. We dismiss people by just saying, hey, tell me what you're going through. Cool. This is what you should do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's something that I continuously have to check myself. Because I'm doing life with people, and people are going through crazy stuff. And my automatic space to be is tell me so I can tell you. And there are a lot of things that don't work that way. And someone is going through a divorce, all you want to do is like, tell me, let me fix that. But bro, there's so much pain and deep wounds that has been caused by that. But that one moment has opened a can of worms from their abuse when they were kids. So you just want to give them a two-step thing they have to go back home and do? Instead of sitting and crying and grieving with them and showing up in their life and loving them and just sometimes buying them a meal, sometimes just taking a walk, sometimes just going to the gym with them, even when you hate the gym. We dismiss people in different ways. All I'm saying is, I want you to stop being aware. How are you dismissing the people you claim to love? How are you doing that? 
How are you doing? For a lot of boys, we dismiss when a girl says no. We think like, ah, I'm allowing girls say no two times, and the third time is yes. Dude, that's rap, man. I'm just going to call it. I'm just going to call it what it is. We have normalized a rap culture in this country. That girls, when they go on a date, they're not sure how that night is going to end. They're not sure. And you know the sad part? A bunch of those boys are in this room. They are our friends. That's why my argument is still, you, bro, know a rapist somewhere. If it's not you, you have a friend who has told you he did something stupid. You've been silent about it. You doodlized it. That's the word. You made it a dude thing, you know, and that's what dudes do, man. That's what dudes do. And then you're expecting yourself to walk in church with a girl, and the pastor says, you're now husband and wife. And then you go live happily ever after. Without dealing with that crap? Can I use that word? How are you dismissing people, bros? How are you dismissing your friends? How are you <laughs> Something this week that was uh, a reminder for me is, a lot of us, life is hard, those that are under 30, right? We have all these things people want us to figure it all out, to have everything figured out to have a future, to have all these other things, to, 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 that we are so deep in pain, we don't even recognize that our parents are about to retire, and they're also living in anxiety of what will our lives look like. So we're so focused on us that we don't see even the people that have raised us. Because to us, they're our heroes. They are important people. They've overcome so much. They can be going through stuff right now. And for some of you, you know they're going through so much stuff. You can at least listen or pray. Or send them a text saying, you are loved. Oh, I miss you. Just call them randomly. It's a cool gift to know that they're still valued even in their old age. They're still valued even when they think God is done with them. They still matter before God. Even when everyone thinks like, oh, old people, old people, old people. To the extent that I've joked before, saying a lot of us that push for, oh, these people should retire by the age of 50 or 60. Why are we telling our parents to retire? We want every other person's parents to retire, but our parents do still keep their job. That is arrogant. That is rude. So we dismiss people. So Paul says, love is not rude. Love does not dismiss people. Love does not embarrass people. Humiliate shame. This is really close to my heart because I was a bully at some point. But my bulliness was unleashed because I was bullied a lot as well. So when I go to the teens, I just turn into this bully. So making fun of people for them to be embarrassed was kind of a cool thing for me to do. And actually, that's a cool thing for some of you to do. You are funny, but literally you are embarrassing other people. So people look at your funniness. I'm just using words that I don't know even exist, but you get the point. You're using how funny you are to just embarrass other people. That you show up in a place and you embarrass everyone and we just laugh about it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be funny. I love jokes. I love watching stand-up comedians. They're amazing. They're so brilliant. They give you a way of looking at things in a different way. And I don't want you to, to go back home and to delete all your Trevor Noah stuff. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, love does not embarrass people. Does not embarrass people that have failed. Does not embarrass people that are not like us does not embarrass people that had stuff and lost everything. Does not shame people that are struggling. Love does not look at people and say, you could have been something else. That's not love. Love does not do that. We're going to see later that love hopes for people. Those strugglers, you hope for them. 
those people that are in complicated spaces, you hope for them. That's what love does. That's what love does. It does not embarrass people. It does not demean people. It does not disrespect people. It does not disrespect, does not dishonor or exalt itself or undervalue people. Love does not disrespect. Every day, you have moments that you can choose to be quiet or choose to embarrass people. Actually, today, we'll give you a moment to get in a car and someone will be a bad driver. And you have a moment to embarrass them. Or you can stay quiet. You have a moment to demean someone. To, to be mean to someone. To be disrespectful to someone. Some, someone that you have given so much money to do something for you will not show up and do that thing or bring that thing. You are not allowed to shame them. You are allowed to demand what is owed to you. But you are not allowed to demean, disrespect, embarrass, and shame them. You are not allowed to do that. Your kid will fail hard someday. Or maybe they have failed now. You yourself will fail hard someday. Or you have failed hard before. You are not allowed to demean yourself. To undervalue who you are. To be defined by your struggles. You're not allowed to do that. I love how scripture says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because a lot of us, we dismiss ourselves. We, we make fun of ourselves in a way that's embarrassing. We demean ourselves with disrespect. That's what we have and that's what we give. That's why we give to other people. That's why we give. We are abusive to ourselves. We are abusive to our bodies. We are abusive to other people. Simply because that's what we have. We fail to give something we don't have. Oh, for a lot of us, we're just exhausted. Because we are that, but we're demanding ourselves to give something that we don't have. So it's exhausting. We're in this middle. Oh, I want people to think I am good. I am amazing. I am awesome. I'm all these other things. But realistically, when you are alone, you are demeaning. You're like, you are nothing. There's nothing you amount to. There's nothing you are doing. There's nothing. You're so rude to yourself that to make that jump, you are always exhausted. So you don't want anything to do with people. You don't want anything to do with life because you're just exhausted trying to pretend something you are not. Something you are not. I think a lot of answers we have given were not life and death answers. But the answers we gave to people came out in a rude way and we destroyed a bunch of important relationships. To the point that if we had just stayed quiet or silent, or my favorite, this is what I do. When I feel like, man, I'm not, I'm not a, at a good place, I ask for more time. Hey man, can we talk about this later? I understand you are angry. I understand this is hard, but can we talk about later? Because right now, just my emotions will be the ones talking, not my thoughts. Can we talk about this later? But I'm telling you, in a moment, I just want him to feel it. I want them to literally have my wrath and a little bit of God's wrath in that moment. I just like, you know what? Thunder and lightning is still doing push-ups right now. It's going to hit you in a way. A lot of us give rude answers because of the value we've given other people and the overvalue we've given ourselves. Our rudeness, our rudeness as people in the church, so I'm, I'm bringing it home now. Our rudeness as people in the church can create tribes. 
What do I mean? If rudeness is coming from the value you have placed on people, there are high chances that if these are the people you have chosen not to be rude to, these are the people you're going to stick with. Right? Are you following me? These are the people you're going to stick with. So for a church like this, anyone that does something different, anyone that does something in a strange way that we don't agree with, our response is not, before we say anything, let us learn, our response is rudeness. We are normally rude to something we don't know. To the point that if we just knew what that same thing was, maybe we would not be as rude. So we create tribes. We create people that are like us. The tribes turns into clubs. And those clubs have rules. Rules on how to join. So it's no longer come to church the way you are because Jesus wants to meet you there. It's like, you know what? Our church, we're so free. We just dress however we want. You mean he can't, riches cannot wear a suit? Yeah, our church is this. Uh, the, the, we speak in tongues. You can only join our church when you speak in tongues. Okay. Uh, is that in the Bible? No, but the speaking in tongues is a gift. Or is a sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, really? Or the sign of you are filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not dismissing those that speak in tongues. I'm not dismissing those that don't speak. And I'm saying, are we complicating things than how God has put them? So when, when someone that doesn't speak in tongues show up in our church, we're like, why don't you speak in tongues? We are technically rude at them because they're different. So this is what happens. This stagnancy. You get to be in a stagnant place because you are rude. I'm giving an example of the church because this is important, right? As a church, you get to be stagnant because you have turned into a club that has new rules that Jesus has no idea about. That Jesus looks at it like, I don't think I, I even can fit in there. Uh, that, uh, you have added so many rules, I think I can't access the membership. This is so, so in. So then, because we're stagnant, we're not growing, what do we do? We spiritualize our stagnancy, our lack of growth. The reason why we are not growing is because we're doing the right thing and people cannot join this because when they show up, they see the fire of God and, and they don't experience what we're experiencing. So we're basically spiritualizing our rudeness. All I'm saying is, I want you to be so solid in your walk with God. So solid that you brutally love other people. You brutally serve other people. You brutally are kind with your words to other people. You're brutally giving yourself, not because that's what will qualify you being loving, but because you're convinced you are loved, there's nothing you can keep because God has given you everything. I want you to be brutally loving, dudes, by being kind to that girl so that when she goes back home, she is not repenting for being with you. That when your girl comes on a date with you, she's like, Jesus, just take me home right now. No, 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 no. When she's going back home, she feels a kindness, which in other words, you have honored her. That you have honored that woman so much that she wants to commit to you because of how you have honored her. But that honor is not starting with her. It's starting with your young brothers, your older sister. It's starting with the way you're treating the minibus guys, the way you're treating yourself, your friends at work. That is not just a muscle you have to grow because you have six months to get married. It's a muscle God has been growing in you because you said yes to Jesus and Jesus gave you his spirit and his spirit is causing you to grow more love and more kindness. What's our reality? 
our reality is this, that despite how you and me can be bothering. Let's go to the next slide. Despite how bothering you and me are, how irritating and selfish we are, how self-rothing we are, and how hurtful in all our ignorance, in all our abuse, in all our disrespect of ourselves and others, Jesus. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind to you. Jesus is kind to your sins. Jesus is patient and kind to your weaknesses. He is. You are so weak, you don't even notice it. I am so weak. And I say that so that when I do something stupid, you guys will go like, oh yeah, we've heard him say so many times he's weak. So it's not a surprise. Jesus is so patient with us. Jesus is serving and kind and is able to save us from our rudeness and our people approval idols. And Jesus is able to restore and able to heal of our identity crises. That without being people that have figured everything out, without being people that know everything, without all these other things, Jesus is still kind and patient with you. And his spirit is a stamp that you belong to God. That Jesus is all these things for you so that you can come to God and find yourself in God. Jesus endured rudeness for who he was and what he was doing. And if you have noticed, rudeness is coming from who we are and what we do. Jesus endured rudeness on the cross. And he was on the cross dying for our sins. And some rude boys showed up and said, if you are the son of God, come down. My favorite part was do something. Yes, son of God, get out of that place. Do something. And Jesus did something that was really hard for us to even understand. Because before the night he was arrested, when the soldiers came, his boys wanted to fight back. And his statement was, dude, if I wanted a battle, I would have brought in 10,000 angels. Like, each of us would have had an angel to fight for us. He would have done that. But he did not. Because no amount of angels would satisfy God and what Jesus came to do. So Jesus is on the cross to say, do something. And he showed us that sometimes when you are quiet, that's when you are doing everything. Because in his moment of doing nothing, he was doing everything that has saved us from all our sins. In his moment of not doing anything according to these guys, Jesus was doing everything that has changed your future and my future for eternity. In a moment when Jesus was not doing anything, he laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. So that I would no longer live in sin or sit in sin, but would be saved by God. Where do you need to see God's grace? To be your help in how you respond to people that are stepping on you. Next steps. How are you valuing people? Because how you value people influences how you treat them. How you value people determines how you treat them. How you value yourself determines how you treat yourself. Two coins of pride. One side leads to puffed upness. 
that says I'm all this, I'm a big deal, I'm amazing. You actually are singing amazing grace for me. Like it gets to that place. Or the other side of same pride says I am nothing. I don't matter. I'm worthless. I don't deserve anything. And Jesus steps into that place and says, you are mine. Bought at a price that Bill Gates cannot afford. Now it's Jeff Bezos, right? Like, you bought at a price. You bought at a price. You bought at a price. So how are you valuing people? And this week, what one thing do you need to start doing to honor people? One thing. Do you need to listen? Do you need to say, give me more time? Do you need to give other people more time? Or do you need to just say, man, I don't know what to say? Or do you actually need to say no? Because no is enough of an answer. Let us pray. God, we pray that you speak what is true today. Help us trust you. Help us see your goodness. Help us see how kind you are to us. Help us selflessly give our time and resources to you. Because everything is yours, including our time and resources. And help us be kind to each other today. In Jesus' name, amen.